Tune in as we chat about the dangers of elopement, steps you can take to minimize this risk, and where to find supportive community resources. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today we will be talking about... Elopement. Yes, and not the kind where you run away with the bride. I was I was just thinking of that. I was like, well, my my take on it is basically running away to Vegas to get married by Elvis. So less, I mean, my kids might do that eventually. Less Elvis <laughs> in this episode than you might think. There's still some Elvis, but less. Is there Elvis? <laughs> I don't <laughs> is know. There I, any guess Elvis? We'll, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> so All yes, right. elopement. All right. So what is my definition of elopement? I would say might be different from yours, Leah, but I would say mine is a child that has no awareness to any danger or there's spatial awareness of where they are and just kind of will run off or kind of just disappear going wherever they want to go. And if you are to call after them, they're non-responsive. Yeah. So they basically will just dart out of your hands or you can't turn your head for one second because they disappear. Sometimes it's just like they find something of interest and they're hyper-focused. So they just chase after that thing without any sort of fear of anything that could happen, like running into the street and not really having any regard for like oncoming traffic or anything like that. And we've noticed this with, I'd say our oldest primarily. Yeah. Um, no, nothing with obviously like traffic or anything, but there have been the instance where she would run into kind of the thorn bushes when she saw something that she wanted to get, I guess, on the other side. So she would kind of go through the thorn bushes and uh, you and actually my mom would have to <laughs> go in and kind of grab her out. And then also she would kind of go running down the hill in our backyard without any awareness. And even when we're calling after her, it was, you better have some good shoes on and start running down the hill after because she's not stopping. Yeah. And what was interesting is that although some kids usually do it because they are like hyper fixated on something and they're just following that thing. I feel like with her, there wasn't really any specific obvious motive. Like when she was running into the woods and into the trees and she was pushing towards the thorn bushes and through them, there wasn't like a butterfly or flowers or anything there. It was just trees and woods. Yeah, it was just an open, like a forest, basically. There wasn't anything that we were able to see that she wanted to get to or like something that was highly desirable that she was trying to get to. It was just, that was it. The big risk for that is that a lot of autistic kids that elope end up having an attraction to water and bodies of water. And I know like our kid, we've mentioned in previous episodes, she's very much so a water baby. So if there is water nearby, she will be the first one to find it. And the first thing she wants to do is get in it. And so one of the biggest dangers of elopement is the very high drowning rate and that risk that comes with it. And I would say it's a strong pull because, I mean, we're even in the car and there'll be like a river that will kind of pass by. And if she sees the water, she'll say that she wants to go in the water. It's basically every time she sees any type of body of water, she wants to go in, she wants to touch it, she wants to kind of play in the water. So I've never come across any other kid or person that I've come in contact with that has had such a pull to want to be in water. Part of me doesn't mind because, you know, oh, we can go to the beach and it'll be fun. She loves water. But at the same time, remember the other day where we were going to that park that has like a cliff that goes over a beach? All right. And so we went to this park and she was super attracted to the water again. But the problem was that it was like a cliff that overlooked 
the water. And the only thing protecting you from falling in was basically like thorn bushes and some trees that were there. But you could easily push past those if you wanted to and just fall right off the cliff and into the rocky shore there into the water. And she was trying to pursue pushing through those bushes. And we kept telling her like, no, 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 no. But she kept trying and trying. And had we not been there, she would have easily just walked right off and fallen off that cliff into the bay. Thankfully, in our case, we were able to kind of redirect her to find something else that was more desirable. And I think in the one case, we there were like little berries on the branches. So she wanted to actually pick the berries because she thought it was like for like feeding the chickens or something that she, <laughs> she had a, she had a stuffed chicken that she wanted to feed. <laughs> so she's picking little berries to feed them. So thankfully we were able to find something else that she was able to draw her attention to that was not dangerous. But the biggest risk comes from what happens if you're not around when they elope. Right. So there's those instances that like stop every parent's heart where a kid escapes from their home in the middle of the night and that kid elopes. And then you are not there to stop them if they did get to that cliff, for example. And those are those moments that we as parents really worry about and stress about and that fear and anxiety of like, what happens if I get that call that my kid was just found in like a lake somewhere? Granted, our, our children are super young, three and two, and we watch them like a hawk. But I mean, that is the probably the number one thing that kind of keeps me kind of up at night or like being overly paranoid, just making sure like that they are where I expect them to kind of be. My number one recommendation first that's going to be completely unrelated to the elopement itself. But my number one recommendation is make sure that you get your children in swim classes, no matter what age they are. We're in the process of starting that now because there is such an attraction to water that when they are eloping, they actually usually tell the cops to check near bodies of water first when they're searching for an autistic child who eloped. So I think that number one thing is just as a baseline, every autistic child should know how to swim, if not at least how to float. And I was going to say, I mean, I know we mentioned it in one of the earlier episodes when we were talking about water. I think it was like this different senses that it was something ridiculous, like accidental deaths under the age of 14 for autistic children. It was like something of like 90%, 90%. It was in the 90s, like 90 something percent of autistic children who die prematurely die from drowning. Right. It was under the age of like 14. So I mean, you figure like it's astronomical. So I mean, yeah, no, it's definitely, definitely a uh, fearful, (laughs) fearful thing for us as well. But we don't want to scare you guys. We want to help you guys out. So (laughs) we're going to make the rest of this episode about things you can do to prevent that. There we go. A positive note. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the first things is along those lines, there is something that is called Project Lifesaver. And this is something that I learned about at our local police department. And many police departments have this across the United States. I'm not sure about outside of the United States. But in the U.S., you can contact your local police department and Project Lifesaver is basically a way that you can get your autistic child in their system and they will know all the details about your child. You tell them like what their medical issues are, how best to address the child, if they're verbal, nonverbal, how to communicate with them. You can get all of that put into the system beforehand and then they have like a tracker that you can use for your child. Many places do this for free. I think it's supposed to be free everywhere, but some places do have some sort of fee for it. It might just be kind of where you're living, what the different resources are. Are as far as like funding sources and whatnot, that kind of says if it's essentially going to be free or 
right pay some type of and they might be limited as to how many of these devices they have but i would just check with your local police department and see if they are affiliated with project lifesaver or anything similar to it and they basically give you like a little geo tracker device that you can put on your kid and what it does is it gives the cop access to that information so if your child ever does elope they can pull up in their system and geolocate your child and then obviously success to find your child is a lot faster Right. I mean, I think that's a great, I mean, opportunity to have, at least in the 21st century with like modern technology that you're able to kind of geolocate a missing person, essentially. Definitely, I would say plan ahead on that one. Just at least look into the possibility of kind of getting that through your local police office or police department. Yeah. And while you're there, it would probably be a good idea to just bring your child with you and do like a little bit of a meet and greet with the police department for two reasons. One of them is to humanize your child to the police department, right? Especially if you have one of the like quote unquote lower functioning autistic children where people tend to kind of judge a little more harshly and they don't necessarily know how to handle that situation. So it'd be good for your child to go so that the police officers can get to know your child and kind of like humanize them and empathize with them. So that there's already a little bit of a relationship there should anything happen. And then the other benefit to that is your child can also become more comfortable with the police because sometimes children are very easily scared of like uniforms and weapons and all these things that might come off as scary to them. So this would be probably really good for the younger kids. And for the older kids, they might just be curious, you know, like they might just want to know. But if they're still eloping at an older age, chances are it's probably still appropriate for them to do that as well. Right. I think of it, I mean, almost kind of like when we do like the social stories for our daughters going to like the dentist or like the doctor, like originally, like before they had any type of appointment, they would be terrified because it's like a new person person, a new surrounding, new like clothes, like a, a doctor wearing like the like white uh, ro- robe, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what you call it. Uh, doctor's coat. Medical um, gown. Medical. I don't, oh wait, no, that's the <laughs> wrong gown. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. So wrong thing. <laughs> right. So not a medical gown, but like a doctor's like white coat. I'd be very disturbed if my doctor had his like butt hanging out. Just back out of the office. <laughs> But but no, no, essentially, like, if, if you almost create, like, a social story or you get them introduced to, oh, okay, this is a police officer, they're friendly. I mean, I'm thinking of when our doctor went to – or <laughs> I'm thinking of <laughs> We're when – mixing them up. Wow. I'm thinking of when our daughter went to the doctor. There we go. And she was super comfortable with her, and she was actually, like, wanting to play with, like, her stethoscope that she had around her neck. And it was, like, such a comfortable feel that she had. So if you're able to establish that with other professionals in the community, like a police officer, a dentist, a fire firefighter, anyone who is like an emergency or like first responder. I mean, I think that is beneficial. Yeah. And we did do that through social stories because initially she was terrified of meeting anybody in a uniform. So I would recommend if, if your child is anxious around uniformed people, the meet and greet would probably be a good idea just to get them comfortable with it. But try out a social story or a social story video beforehand just to ease that transition, basically. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. The other thing that you can do is there's these devices that you can actually get at home as well. You can order them like on Amazon and stuff like that. There's two different ones that are very common. One is called AngelSense and the other one is GeoBit. And AngelSense and GeoBit are basically the same thing. Just two different companies who do it slightly different. And it's geo-tracking as well. So it's another way to be able to keep track of your child from home. And usually they come with like a cell phone app that gives you access to like, oh, your kid has just left this location. This is where they are now. Some of them allow you to kind of communicate with the kid. Usually that means it requires like a phone plan. So there's that additional fee. But it gives you peace of mind because you always have access to your child 
and you always know where they are. So obviously Project Lifesaver is in the hands of like the police department on their own device versus these two. It's kind of putting that into your own, I guess, control right device. Yeah. So you are able to kind of pull up. So, so for, I guess very similar, but just kind of who's in control of the device essentially. Right. And with AngelSense and Geobit, you can sometimes get insurance to approve that. I know that AngelSense, they also post on their website like grants and things like that that you can apply to to be able to get these because they are a couple hundred dollars, but just keep an eye out. I know that they also do a ton of sales all the time. So it's just something to consider if you are scared of your child eloping someday and you just want a little bit more of that like peace of mind. The other thing that we did personally, because Our oldest child was a big eloper, and then our youngest started to elope, and that kind of freaked us out because we're like, oh gosh, what if it's just me and I have two elopers? And I found out the hard way because I do have two elopers. I was by myself, and I tried using harnesses, which that's another option. You can use like a backpack harness, which has like a little leash attached to it that you can put on your wrist. And then there's also wrist leashes. So you put one on your wrist and the other end goes on your child's wrist. That's usually a good option if you feel like your child is capable of like walking on their own and keeping up pace and isn't trying to pull you all over the place. Well, so usually I'm a fan of kind of like the leash harness because they have more freedom. They're able to walk around, kind of run a little bit, but they're still within a reasonable distance. So if you needed to like get them off to the side of like a, a pathway, because like a bike or something is coming, you're able to easily do that. But that only works as long as they're willing to walk. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's two problems with that. One is they have to be willing to walk, which sometimes Sometimes my kids are not. And the other problem with that is it really only works on a one-on-one situation. So like we have two autistic children and I had both of my children on a backpack leash by myself because I was bringing them to an appointment and they both decided to run, like try to elope from me at the same time in different directions and ended up pulling me down. And I ended up actually getting a really severe sprain. And then for the rest of the day, I couldn't really carry them or anything. And I had to wait hours until you got home from work. And it was just like a big mess. And all of that could have been prevented had I known that there was another option, which we now do. (laughs) (laughs) And this is what I consider like the godsend. For me, my my biggest thing now is actually using a wagon. And we use one that is like a five-point harnessed wagon because, again, our kids are not just elopers like running, but like if you try to strap them into a standard stroll or anything like that, they like try to oh finagle their way out of it. And it's hard. I mean, I will – I mean, okay, I'm a like 6'1". 220 pounds. <laughs> no, I'm lying. I'm like 230. Um, but I mean, I'm like a decent size, like adult. And it's like for the three-year-old, when she does not want to go into like her car seat or be buckled up, like it's pretty hard. And I'm, I'm just surprised. I mean, it thankfully you almost need like a like harness or something just to kind of keep her if she's having kind of a, a moment where she wants to kind of get out and run away essentially. Right. And I'm four foot 11, so it's <laughs> that much harder for me. <laughs> so what we did is we got the the, the brand of the wagon that we got is called Wonderfold. And you can go, I think it's like Wonderfold 
baby.com. We'll put all the links and information in the um, show notes. In the show notes. But what I did is I went through that website and they actually have like a special needs discount. So you can get the wagon off for 25, 25% off. They are very expensive. They're hundreds of dollars depending on which version you get. But you can use the 25% off coupon if you fill out some medical paperwork for them. But what we did is I actually was able to get a prescription from our pediatrician. And the reasoning behind that being like my child had elopement risk. And with that prescription, I was able to pass it through our dual insurance. And it ended up being completely covered by insurance for us. Yeah, which I mean, definitely a big lifesaver because I mean, they are quite expensive for like a wagon, several hundreds of dollars without- It was I almost mean, $1,000 for the one that we right. got. So it we saved a lot of money from that. But I mean, the, the, the quality of the wagon is fantastic. I mean, it's got like all-terrain wheels. Right. Like you can really bring it anywhere. It's really easy to m- move it around. And, you and like break you, it break it down kind of, I mean- because we have, we have a van and we basically just <laughs> pop it up, push it straight in, and then just lower the handlebar and it stays completely intact in the back of our van. Yeah, we don't even fold ours, but with like our minivan, we have an Odyssey. It fits in there unfolded. But what you have to do is you have to get that prescription and then you have to go through a DME. And right now, the only DME available in the United States that I'm aware of that you could get this through is called Babies on Broadway. I believe there's a new DMA that's about to come up in like North Carolina or Florida. I can't remember. But as of right now, the only one I'm familiar with is Babies on Broadway. So you get your prescription, you call them up, and you try to basically get it processed through them. And that, again, has been an utter godsend for us. So we are like super happy about that. Right. I would say that that is definitely like one of the biggest game changers with kind of transportation overall. I mean, I think it's been fantastic as far as if we're going somewhere and both kids are okay being in the wagon, just kind of putting them in, going for a little stroll. And we no longer have to kind of worry about harnessing them and them running all over the place, eloping. (laughs) I honestly, like the day that I finally got that wagon approved, I almost cried. And I, I say that because prior to having that ability to put them in something that I could safely transport them to, we had to basically just stay cooped up at home all the time because it was way too difficult to take them anywhere because of that elopement risk. So we were kind of like forced to be like a recluse at home that couldn't go out or do anything. Well, because your option was basically, okay, they either have to be like on like a leash harness or holding our hands or we're carrying them. And they have to participate in that. If they start putting up any sort of a fight, we can't do it. Right. Then you're basically carrying them directly to the car because trying to carry a three-year-old who's struggling, like screaming, I mean, it's (laughs) it takes a lot of energy basically to kind of be able to like hold her from kind of like wiggling out of our arms too. Yeah. And then with the hypotonia, she would get tired and couldn't keep walking. So that wagon was an absolute like life-changing event for me. So I've been really grateful to have that. So the other thing that you can do is you can can talk to your pediatrician. And while you're trying to get this prescription for the wagon, you can also try to get a prescription. Uh, I don't know if it's technically called a prescription, but you file the paperwork to try to get a handicap placard. And not many people know this, but in the United States, you are able to get a handicap placard for your autistic child if they are an elopement risk or if they have any other medical condition that necessitates you being closer to the building. So for us, the reason that we needed one is because when we were going to buildings, and through the parking lots, this elopement risk was so great that we were worried she would dart out into traffic as cars are moving in the parking garage or in the parking lot and she would get hit. So we were basically saying we need her to be able to be as close to the building as possible to minimize risk. But when you fill out the form, what you have to say is like, my child is not able to basically walk anywhere without support, which is 
is the case because they would elope. They would be in danger. Now, I think when we were filling out ours, there were a couple of different types for like the placards. There was like the temporary one where it was like a set duration of time that it would expire. I think it was six months as well. Or there was like the permanent one where it just is ongoing indefinitely. Essentially, Yeah, but you don't get to choose that, I don't believe. I think the doctor chooses that. Right. So I I guess that's depending on your Depending on the doctor that you get. depending on, I guess, the severity of... The situation as well. Yeah, because some doctors are more willing to do it. Others are really strict. So maybe have that conversation with your doctor in advance and kind of get an idea and say, hey, would it be possible to get the permanent one? Otherwise, you have to renew it every six months. And we know autism isn't just going to disappear. So... Right. And submitting the paperwork every six months and basically getting like the doctor to fill out the every, form six every six yeah. months. Yeah, or, or maybe try that and they'll get so right, annoyed that yeah. they'll eventually give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Outsmart them. Right. Um. So that was like another recommendation that has, again, been an absolute lifesaver between the wagon and the handicap placard. Our lives have been so much less stressful just because of that whenever we go out. Yeah, it's the best of both worlds. We can park close and then we can use the wagon so we don't have to carry them. Which is what we do now. <laughs> And the wagon is large enough that if you are shopping, you don't need a shopping cart either. You can usually just throw things into the wagon as well. And as long as you're very clear (laughs) that they know you're not shoplifting. (laughs) Well, they have like the little little seats and then like like things can like roll under the seat. I mean, yeah. Yeah, just be very careful (laughs) that it doesn't appear that you're shoplifting. But other than that... Um, so those are basically our biggest tips for this area. But also there's like three more things that are a little bit like if you want to do them, you can and they may be helpful. So one of them is making sure that you have a very good security system in your your house, like a camera system to keep track of your child. And you can tether that to lock systems like smart locks or dead bolts and things like that. But if you get a security system, you can get like window alarms and door alarms and things that will go off if your child does attempt to open it in the middle of the night. And I know, I mean, in some of my dad's groups, I mean, this is kind of an ongoing thing as well. I've seen them post as far as that they have kind of the door latch kind of at the top of the door that it kind of goes into the door frame. So you can't open it even when the door is locked. And I've seen some of dad's posting that their child is old enough to realize how to disengage. So they'll bring like a chair over, they'll stand on the chair, they'll be able to pull down the latch to be able to get out the door. So, I mean, even though you think, oh, okay, like the door latch is at the top of the door, my door is six and a half, seven feet high, they, they clearly can't reach it. When they do get a little bit older, if elopement is still a problem, they can kind of outsmart some of these like physical security measures. So I would also try and go a little bit more tech friendly if that if that's possible. Yeah, that's why the security system is more important as they get older, because you really want that like alerting feature. You want that alarm that goes off if the door opens. You want to have the push notification that goes to your phone and lets you know this window has been opened. So that's something that would also help you out with minimizing the risk of your child eloping from your home, for example. And the other thing that you can do is when you're going out and about with your child, it's just a quick thing that you can do. It takes five seconds is when you're going out and you think that maybe, oh, this could be an elopement risk area, just snap a quick photo of your kid so that you have a photo of them that shows what they are wearing that day, just in case anything does happen. And you have a very accurate photo of your kid to show to like the police, for example. Yeah, I think planning ahead uh, is definitely a good approach. If you're going to, I don't know, I'm trying to think of what you would go to, like like a concert or something, or like an event where there's more people, it might be a good idea just to have something on you as far as so you can easily show like a security person, like, oh, this is a- exactly what my kid was wearing. Like, this should be easy to basically like find them with this because they can easily check the security footage and see, oh, okay, a young child wearing striped shirt. 
Yes. Right there. And you can also get these like medical alert type of bracelets and have it on your kid. Or if they don't tolerate that, they have like keychains you can put on their shoelaces or things like that. And they can have something to the effect of, oh, my kid is autistic and may not respond. They might try running away. Here's mom's phone number, things like that. And you can just have that on their person just in case as well to prep when you go out. And the very last thing that I would recommend, some people like this idea and some people don't. It's a little bit controversial, but you can get like an autism service dog. And the reason it's a little bit controversial is if your autism service dog is using the tethering technique. So the tethering technique is basically you get a bigger dog and you have your child kind of harnessed and attached to your dog, kind of like a leash like you would with us. But the dog is trained so that if your child is trying to elope, the dog will sit down and stay in place so that the child can't go anywhere. Some people say, you know, that's fine. The dog's trained for that. Some people say it puts an unnecessary strain on the dog and they say that you shouldn't do that to a dog. I don't really have an opinion one way or another because I don't know enough about the subject matter, but that's just like another thing to put out there to look into potentially looking into a service dog and whether or not you're using tethering, the service dog could help like calm your kid down in like a meltdown or something like that as well. See, I didn't even know that a service dog was available for this diagnosis because I know of other service dogs where if the person is having like a, not a seizure, but like a- An anxiety uh, attack? Something along those lines. Like a panic attack? Where the dog will basically kind of like lie on them to kind of like settle the person. And I figured like in some instances with kind of like a meltdown, that might be kind of similar in lines where it's more, almost more of like a therapy- Yes. Dog of sorts. But I didn't know as far as like the tethering where, I mean, I didn't know that was a thing actually. Yeah. So that's the difference between kind of like an emotional support dog versus a service animal. A service animal, you need them to perform a service that helps you. So it's like your dog, if they're tethering, they're performing a service. An emotional support dog could just be like, oh, this dog helps me feel better when I'm sad. But if the dog knows that when he detects that you're sad, he's supposed to come over and put his head on your chest to put some deep pressure on you, then it's a service. Mm, okay. So it just depends on what the dog's doing. Full disclosure, service dogs tend to be really expensive. They're like tens of thousands of dollars. Well, and it requires training and all Yeah, that, it yeah. requires, I think, like a minimum of like two years of training and all this stuff. But there are also grants and scholarships and stuff like that for that. So a couple of things to keep in mind. I know we threw a lot of information out there. <laughs> and we talk fast at times. <laughs> yeah, we have to talk fast to get it all in in the 30 minutes. But <laughs> Our speed is naturally 1.5, so we speed everything up. <laughs> yeah, you can always tell when the episode's ending because we talk faster. <laughs> but I hope that that was helpful. Again, just follow us at Facebook at Autism Wish. If you have any questions, you can shoot them there or on our website, autismwish.org. We have a dedicated spot under the podcasting page in case you guys want to contact us, ask questions, if there's topics you want us to discuss, etc. So I hope this was helpful and thanks for tuning in, everyone. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. To review, we discussed how you can gain some peace of mind by utilizing Project Lifesaver, AngelSense, or GeoBit tracking devices to ensure your child's safety. We also noted how you can utilize your insurance and pediatrician to provide your child with additional supports, such as a handicap placard and a prescribed wagon, as well as an autism service dog. Tune in next time as we wrap up the season with a discussion on ADD and ADHD and answer questions such as, how does ADHD relate to autism? What are some challenges associated with ADD and ADHD? And when can I get my child assessed? This is Embracing Autism.